MSW Media. A big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use promo code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. Today, it was improved surveillance under President Biden that caught the Chinese spy balloons. Republican Rep. Scott Perry has publicly acknowledged his sealed court battle to prevent the Department of Justice from getting evidence from his phone. Matt Gates has been secretly added to Jim Jordan's DOJ Weaponization Committee. A Memphis officer texted a photo of Tyree Nichols after he was beaten. And the January 6th committee concludes the violence at the Capitol could have been prevented. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy hump day. Happy hump day to you. I hope that you're having a wonderful week as our listeners as well. Yes, uh, I, it's pretty good. It's pretty good this week. Um, it's flying by. Uh, we're already, what, a third of the way through February or something like that? Like almost a, a quarter I, I of what? I can't even, yeah. To this year. And, and as I get older, it just goes faster and faster. Isn't there a song about that? Yeah, probably. So also in this, along those lines, happy birthday to my mom. Oh, happy birthday, AG's mom. She is 963 today. <laughs> She's also an AG. And uh, I sent her a card that had a picture of the redwoods on it, you know, from Northern California. Yeah. And it said, ah, the beautiful, majestic redwoods, you know, spanning time and years and beautiful, you know, majesty, their grace and strength, blah, blah, blah. And you open it up and it says, thanks for planting them. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love a good your mama joke. Okay. Especially when they come in the form of birthday cards. Yes. Later in the show, I'm going to be talking with the operations director of Soul Strategies, Amani Wells Anyoha. She's amazing. I can't wait for you to hear that conversation. State of the Union is in about uh, is in a couple hours now. By the time people listen to this, they will have heard the State of the Union. We expect him to go over all sorts of things. What I'm focusing on, besides all of the amazing accomplishments his administration has done, is that democracy takes time. It is slow and people who are impatient with it, that is something that the baddies can exploit. They can make you hate democracy. They call it gridlock in Washington. Uh, and that is something that helps the autocrats, you know, in their, you know, I guess, fervor to to install a dictator Absolutely. As, as the head of our country. So just keep that in mind. Uh, I think that will come into play quite a bit tonight. Also, Matt Gates has been secretly added by Jim Jordan to the, I'm calling it Department of Justice What the Fuck Committee, uh, because WTF stands for Weaponization of the Feds. <laughs> so I think What the Fuck Committee works perfectly. It's the What the Fuck Committee. Gates is currently under investigation by the agency he's just been tasked to investigate. Cool, cool. I'm sure that's totally normal. Yep, nothing um, weird going on there. Yeah, and there were no announcements. They just secretly put it in the Congressional Journal. Like, they slid him in there. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Jim Jordan does like to cover up things. So, you know, his appointment of Gates to the What the Fuck Committee isn't a surprise. Yeah, without telling anybody. Yeah, yep. that's totally his his flavor. 
on a brand that tracks, etc. All right, we have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, U.S. officials said Monday that improvements ordered by Biden to strengthen defenses against Chinese espionage are what helped to identify last week's spy balloon and to determine similar flights were conducted at multiple points during the Trump administration. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that after Biden took office, the U.S. enhanced our surveillance of our territorial airspace. We enhanced our capacity to be able to detect things that the Trump administration was unable to detect. (laughs) (laughs) President Biden, in turn, has been faulted by some Republicans for not ordering the balloon shot down before it would made its way across the U.S. Officials have said there was concern about damage to people on the ground, and it wasn't a threat. We jammed it. Okay. He addressed that issue on Monday. Quote, once it came over the United States from Canada, I told the Defense Department I wanted to shoot it down as soon as it was appropriate. The military concluded we should not shoot it down over land, and it was not a serious threat. Unquote. In a brief exchange with reporters, Biden expressed his continued displeasure with Beijing. Asked why China launched a balloon over the U.S., he replied simply, because they're the Chinese. Biden administration officials have planned a classified briefing for all senators on Thursday to discuss the spy balloon situation, according to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's office. And spy balloon situation, I just picture the situation from Jersey Shore with a balloon. That's what the spy balloon situation (laughs) is. Sullivan, speaking at an event hosted by the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition, said, as part of the surveillance improvements since Biden took office, we were able to get back and look at the historical patterns and uncover multiple instances during the Trump administration in which Chinese surveillance balloons traversed American airspace and territory. Several Trump administration officials have said they didn't learn of any Chinese spy balloons during their tenures. Yeah, because you fucking suck. Before Monday, that's not an official statement from the government. That's me. Before Monday, U.S. officials have said that at least three times during the Trump administration, at least one other time during Biden's time as president, balloons have crossed American airspace, but not for this long. In those instances, the United States determined the balloons belonged to China only after they had left U.S. airspace. That was General Glenn Van Herc of U.S. National Northern Command. Quote, I will tell you, we did not detect those threats, he said, and that's a domain awareness gap that we have to figure out. He added that U.S. intelligence communities, after the fact, informed his command about the balloons. Sullivan didn't explain what specifically allowed the U.S. to detect and track the latest balloon, where the previous administration couldn't. Officials have said, without elaborating, China has flown similar balloons over parts of five continents in recent years. Van Herc described the debris field uh, after the shot-down balloon as 15 football fields by 15 football fields square. The payload itself, I would characterize that as a jet airliner type of size, maybe a regional jet, probably weighed in excess of a couple thousand pounds, he said. Sullivan said the U.S. was still not piercing through with Chinese officials. Uh, They don't know what they knew about the balloon and would not speak publicly about the U.S. assessments about China's intentions of flying it over the U.S. I think it was to see if we could unite as a country and uh, the GOP failed. The Biden administration had previously raised concerns about China's use of surveillance balloons with Congress, including during briefings last August, according to the White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre. So Biden has raised these concerns. White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters Monday that the U.S. military had begun collecting debris from the balloon. We got pictures now, too, to confirm it. He also said the White House has offered to brief key officials from the Trump administration. You know, if you were dumb and you didn't know, we're happy to tell you. But those briefings have yet to take place, and some of them don't even want the briefings, Dana. 
Uh, thank you so much, AG. And just a little trigger warning at the beginning of the story. Um, this yes. is uh, covering the violence against Tyree Nichols. And so I just want people to be aware of that. This story is actually really infuriating. I'm sorry. We even have to cover it, but it's important. Uh, as Tyree Nichols, he sat propped against a police car. He was bloodied, dazed, handcuffed after he had been beaten by a group of Memphis police officers. One of those assholes took a picture of him and sent it to at least five people, the Memphis Police Department said in a document released by the state on Tuesday. The document was sent to Tennessee Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission as part of a request last month for the regulatory agency to decertify five officers involved in the beating. Those officers have since been fired and charged with second-degree murder and Nichols' death. The decertification, which was requested by Chief Sarah Davis of the Memphis Police, would make the fired officers ineligible to work as police officers in the state. And I hope that happens. In the newly released documents, police officials said that one of the five officers, Demetrius Haley, admitted to sending a photograph of Mr. Nichols to at least five people, including two fellow officers, a civilian employee of the department, and a female acquaintance. The sixth person also received the photo. Sorry. Um... I just, the lack of humanity in this whole fucking story yeah, breaks my heart. Um, Michael Stengel, he's a lawyer for Mr. Haley. He did not immediately respond to messages seeking comment. Videos of the beating that were released by the city last month appeared to show Mr. Haley taking pictures of Mr. Nichols a few minutes after the beating when the police officers had propped him up against a police car. The videos show Mr. Haley shining a flashlight on Mr. Nichols and appearing to take a photograph with his phone. He then looks briefly at his phone and a few seconds later appears to take another photo. Memphis Police Department policy prohibits officers from using personal cell phones while performing patrol duties, such as driving a police vehicle, handling calls for service, or conducting traffic stops. The department's letter said Mr. Haley had used a personal cell phone. While in the police force, Mr. Haley was reprimanded in 2021 for failing to file a report after grabbing someone by the arm while making an arrest. According to records released by the city this week, Mr. Haley said at a disciplinary hearing that he had been mistaken about, quote, the amount of force necessary to require such documentation. And a lieutenant spoke on his behalf, saying he worked hard and routinely makes good decisions. Fuck all the way off. The it's just I'm, so, I'm just sorry we have to even report that it's hard to say it's hard to hear and i just i hope every son of a bitch involved in this gets proper justice for the death of this man yeah i imagine prosecutors have that information um i would use the shit out of it in court absolutely all right we're going to shift gears here from kyle cheney at politico and uh andy mccabe and i will tackle this in detail on the next jack podcast this weekend Representative Scott Perry on Tuesday acknowledged he acknowledged publicly a long secret effort to prevent the Justice Department from accessing materials on his phone seized by the FBI last year as part of a probe into Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. In a brief interview, the House Freedom Caucus chairman and longtime Trump ally cast the months long battle as a bid to counter an effort by the executive branch to pry into the protected activities of members of Congress. Quote, the Constitution provides for the provision, okay, it provides for the provision that keeps the executive branch from coercing the legislative branch, said Perry. Anything that erodes that should be concerning to any citizen. Any congressperson who commits a fucking crime and gets to cover it up by saying they're a congressman should be concerning to any citizen. But Politico revealed last week 
a district judge had actually ruled against Perry, delivering a secret opinion in December. This is a Beryl Howell rejecting Perry's efforts to block DOJ's access to his phone. That ruling was itself secretly put on hold last month by a three-judge panel of the appeals court. Totally normal to put that on hold, because if you don't, it moots the entire appeals process. Quote, the judges on the circuit got it right, Perry said. Like, like they're putting a stay, like they're, they aren't putting a hold on it being handed over because they don't think it should be. They're putting a hold on it so they can hear arguments as to whether or not it should be. This is an administrative hold. It's very normal. Perry pointed to the appeals court ruling when he was asked if he felt the House should be doing more to defend him and the prerogatives of the institution. The House last week moved to intervene in Perry's case, though officials have limited insight into the secret proceedings and the potential impacts on other members. That was a bipartisan unanimous decision, including a vote from Hakeem Jeffries. The case is scheduled for sealed oral argument February 23rd. The three judges on the panel, Karen Henderson, Naomi Rao, and Gregory Katzis, asked the parties to weigh in on potentially unsealing aspects of the case by Friday. Politico reported Perry had spent the months, all this time since his phone was seized in August, fighting to block DOJ from accessing its materials, which he views as protected by the speech or debate clause. That's, as we know, provision of the Constitution that prohibits other branches of government from probing actions by members of Congress that are part of their official responsibilities. So we need someone, a judge, to say that Criming is not part of your official responsibility. Perry was a central figure in the effort to overturn the election. He helped orchestrate leadership, uh, attempted leadership changes at the Justice Department. He's the one who put Jeffrey Clark in touch with Trump and said, you should make him the acting attorney general. And that's when Hirschman was like, you're a fucking environmental lawyer. We'll call you when there's an oil spill. Some judges have looked skeptically on whether efforts by Trump to seize a second term could be cast as part of any official responsibilities of government officials. Yeah, the DOJ has said that, too. They said it about Mo Brooks, remember, when he was given his little speech on stage? And they're like, no, no, no. First of all, you're campaigning, so that's not covered by your official responsibilities. Second of all, criming, overthrowing the government can never be part of a federal employee's yeah. <laughs> job. The speech or debate clause by the framers design provides an extremely broad protection that's long created obstacles for investigators. So we'll see. And we'll see how this Supreme Court, if they even take up the case, will handle it. Thank you so much, A.G. And a story that I think most of us knew in advance, probably waited for a confirmation. This is from Ryan Riley at NBC. The House January 6th committee concluded that the FBI and other federal security agencies could have prevented a violent mob from overrunning the Capitol had they acted on the large volume of intelligence collected beforehand. The chief investigator told NBC News in an exclusive interview, a judgment the committee left out of its televised hearings and final report. Now, former federal prosecutor Tim Heafy, the committee's chief investigative counsel, said that while he endorses the panel's main finding that then-President Donald Trump sparked the riot by urging protesters to go to the Capitol, his probe documented how federal law enforcement failures contributed to the debacle. Trump was the proximate cause. This is a quote, but for his words and deeds, but if it wasn't for his words and deeds, it wouldn't have happened. And that again was Heafy, who led many of the key witness interviews conducted by the committee. He went on to say, that said, what happened at the Capitol was also affected by law enforcement failures to operationalize the ample intelligence that was present before January 6th about the threats of violence. He went on to say law enforcement had a very direct role in contributing to the security failures that led to the violence. Committee investigators found that the Capitol was inadequately defended on January 6th, not because of an intelligence failure, Heafy said, but because of a failure to act on intelligence, showing that extremists intended to come to Washington and use violence to stop Congress from certifying Joe Biden's election victory. 
Went on to say there was a lot of advanced intelligence about law enforcement, about carrying weapons, about the vulnerability of the capital. The intel in advance was pretty specific, and it was enough, in our view, for law enforcement to have done a better job. While many lawmakers and outside experts have reached that conclusion, it hasn't been previously reported that the most comprehensive investigation into the Capitol riot did so, too. It's also notable that the lawmakers on the committee chose to downplay and in some cases contradict that finding. Now, Hefe has not previously spoken publicly about the findings of the Blue Team, which is the group of committee investigators who spent more than a year reviewing the performance of the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, the Secret Service, the Capitol Police, the Department of Defense, and Washington's police with regard to the January 6th attack. The team's findings were not presented in any of the committee's televised hearings. An abbreviated version, stripped of details and analytical judgments, was included in an appendix to the written report. But the report said that, ultimately, law enforcement could not have anticipated what Trump would do and therefore could not be blamed. If he ordered a somewhat different view, saying investigators found that both Trump's actions and law enforcement failures had played a significant role. See, this is what he said investigators also found. One, the Capitol Police failed to deploy enough force to defend the building, but the FBI and DHS, the federal agencies that are charged with collecting intelligence about domestic extremists, didn't do enough to sound the alarm about the threat. In addition, the FBI and the DHS were too cautious about exploiting open source intelligence gleaned from social media out of misplaced concern about free speech violations. Also, the FBI and DHS made a crucial error by not publishing a joint intelligence bulletin about the threats they were seeing. That might have prompted a more robust defense of the Capitol. And there was confusion about which federal agency was in charge, hampering their response once the Capitol had actually been breached. He said he agrees with what Washington, D.C.'s National Guard Commander William Walker told the committee, and that was the response would have been much different before and during the attack if these protesters were black and brown. End quote. And it's fucking true. Absolutely. 100 percent. And, you know, they tried to use this whole thing as the optics of what happened with the George Floyd protests, you know, to not defend the Capitol. It's absolute bullshit. Yeah. If you ask me. All right. I have an amazing interview coming up with uh, Amani Wells uh, on Yoha. So everybody stick around for that and we'll do the good news after. And if you have any good news, you can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. I cannot stop talking about how much I love my Helix mattress. You can ask Dana. You can ask Joel. You can ask all my friends. I actually talk about it like probably too much, but I love it. I fall asleep so quickly now. I wake up feeling absolutely great. It is a universe better than the last mattress I had. I'm never going back. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. I took the Helix quiz a long time ago. As you know, I'm a side sleeper. I like a medium firm bed, so I was matched with the Helix Midnight. It's a perfect fit for me, but everyone is different. So Helix has several different mattresses to choose from. You can get a soft, medium, or firm bed. There's a Helix Plus for plus-size folks. And even a mattress great for keeping you cool on hot nights. Helix Sleep also has kids' mattresses that are specifically designed with the kid in mind. It's designed for children 3 to 12 years old and has been awarded Best Mattress Winner by Parents Magazine. So, if you need a mattress, go take that quiz. Order the mattress you're matched to. It'll come to your door, ship for free. It's got a 10 or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And you'll even get to try it for 100 nights with no risk. Helix is awesome, but you don't have to take my word for it. Wired Magazine awarded them Best Overall Mattress in 2021. And GQ Home Awards listed as their favorite mattress in 2022. Congratulations, Helix. With over a billion hours slept on Helix mattresses and over 12,000 five-star reviews, you can be sure you're going to love yours as much as I love mine. 
Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. For our listeners, just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use promo code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am happy to be joined today by political expert, civil rights advocate, and partner and operations director of Soul Strategies, Amani wells Yoha. Hi, Amani. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am really, really, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm honored to talk to you because I really wanted to talk about Soul Strategies and tell everybody about it. So can you give us a little background on, on yourself and what brought you to, to be part of this amazing organization? Thank you. So I'm somebody who's been very passionate about politics for a long time. Um, I know that just getting real working class, honest people in government is pivotal to helping our democracy stay alive and functioning. So it's something that I knew very early on in my life. And it's something that I know I wanted to figure out a way to be a part of and help facilitate that process. I know I never wanted to run for office, but I knew I did want to have a hand in campaigns in some type of way. I always thought I was going to be like an Olivia Pope slash Angela Rye type of person. Like I literally put that combination on my vision board years ago um, as far as what I thought that my work in politics would be like. Um, so I've been here since the very beginning. Soul started in 2020. Um, And I was one of the very first hires on Indeed. And I used to start with just doing the marketing and digital for candidates. So I'll be helping them with their messaging and their social media and their email and their graphics and kind of doing their digital organizing piece. And then one day when I was in Home Goods, Z called me and asked me if I wanted to quit my job and help her run this organization. And I was like, you know what? Life is all about risks. I'm an Aries. She's an Aquarius. And we decided to do this together. And since then, we've worked on over 400 campaigns, which is so crazy. Um, We've built up an entire team of 29 now core employees, and we fully unionized last year. So we are really ramping up and trying to get as many Democrats elected across the country as we can. Oh, that's so amazing. Uh, 400 Mm -hmm. candidates. That's incredible. And now you have a team of 29. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on not running for office. And I'm also with you on, you know, being, you know, taking risks, leaving your job. I'm an Aquarius too. So I feel that. (laughs) Let's talk about some of the things that you work with candidates on. Like, let's talk about, first of Mm -hmm. all, the elements of a strong political campaign that can help a candidate win, right? Because that's, that's the goal. Mm Mm-hmm. Allegedly. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's ultimately (laughs) the goal. Um, So elements of a strong campaign. We have fundraising, which is important because it ultimately leads to field and on the ground grassroots organizing and campaigning, which is what we believe ultimately can win these elections. So fundraising, a strong team on the ground, um, a strong digital organizing method, including organic social media and uh, an email such as email fundraising, messaging, newsletters, just letting people know that what's going on in the campaign. Um, because we realize a lot of people just send out random fundraising emails. And they're like, give me $25. And like, that is all you hear from them every other day. So we kind of wanted to, yes, fundraise, but also figure out a way to keep people engaged with the campaign, let them know what's going on, um, let them know the story of the campaign, any new updates, as well as doing the fundraising ads. Um, we also have a press team we do graphics. So really, we kind of are a one-stop shop, full service organization where first-time candidates, working class candidates can come and get that campaign labor 
that is needed so much. And we can kind of help usher them through to the election um, or we can just stay with us for a little while until they find, you know, a full time team. Now, you you all started during the pandemic, like the, the first year of the pandemic. Yes, yeah. And we had we had to get very creative about campaigning mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, normally with grassroots, we'd knock doors and we go out and we meet people face to face. Can you talk about mm-hmm. some of the adjustments you had to make during COVID that you have brought forward now that we're sort of out of the woods? We're not out of the woods yet, but we're, mm-hmm. we're more out of the woods. But there was a lot that we learned about how to, you know, get more people involved who maybe aren't comfortable knocking doors or going out. And what are some of those best practices that you're bringing forward into, you know, 2022 and future elections? Definitely. Um, We were able to just figure out different ways to organize. And I think that's where digital organizing really began to blow up and figuring out strategies on how to engage with the specific community while using online methods. So following local um, restaurants in a district and then following the people who engage with those pages and then entering their DMs and just figuring out ways to reach people um, that we couldn't before. We were still able to canvas in certain areas, but we just had to be really safe. Um, We just had to make sure that we were wearing masks, that we were stepping away from people's doorsteps and we were only engaging with people who were comfortable. Um, But we also had to ramp up in other methods like phone banking and texting, which is really pivotal in a time like that. And still to this day, phone banking can take you a long way because you can reach even more voters directly um, and you can do it on a smaller budget. So a lot of those things have been consistent moving forward. And we still utilize those methods a lot, especially the digital organizing piece now. Yeah, I've had a lot of of folks say, you know, that they love text banking and phone banking Mm -hmm. and they're more comfortable doing it that way. And then we have, you know, people uh, with accessibility issues who who prefer mm-hmm. that kind of help as well for these campaigns. Yeah. Tell me, how has this extreme, almost Dred Scott Supreme Court mm-hmm. impacted the way you do business? Because now we've got Dobbs overturning Roe v. Wade. We've got Voting mm-hmm. Rights Act that was gutted. We've got marriage mm-hmm. equality on the docket. We've got more v. Harper coming up that could throw the decision, you know, take the decision out of the hands of voters and throw it to, to political state legislatures. How has that informed the way that you're working with these candidates? It's difficult. And we have to just be really specific and picky about the candidates that we're working with nowadays because we can't work with anybody who has a fickle mindset on any of these decisions because these are people's entire lives. So before we even decide to work with the candidate, we do a lot of research in their background. We have an entire outreach team and their whole job is to research and dig into these candidates and see just who they are and what their values are and just making sure that they align with our values as it pertains to decisions like those and then helping them with their messaging and making sure that they have strong solutions when they're running for office. Um, Because sometimes we can get caught up in the words of a situation and not realize what the seat that the candidate is running for can actually do to help these issues. So helping them strategize, helping them understand the seat that they're running for and all its capabilities and what solutions they can offer their district as far as it pertains to those issues has been really important. Yeah, for sure. Now, how has something like the phenomenon of George Santos mm-hmm. impacted your work? Because it seems like if, and I don't know if it was the campaigns or where the buck stopped, it has stopped with the media, but it seems like it's very mm-hmm. important not just to vet your candidates that you're helping, mm-hmm. but the opposition as well. 
yeah, there has to be an accountability piece that comes in at one point or another. And I think that's the part about even just the George Santos thing that has blown my mind the most. It's just like, so we just gonna let this happen. You know, we're just gonna we're just gonna let it rock. Like we found out that he's a habitual liar and he probably has some sort of there's something wrong with that man. He's not well and he shouldn't be holding office at all. So I think that's where it just the political landscape right now as a whole is just very difficult to navigate because we're living in quite literally uncharted times. I've never seen anything like this. And I've been following politics, I would say, with a magnifying glass for at least 12 or 15 years now. I've never seen anything unravel the way that things are unraveling these days. So I'm hoping that that changes. I'm hoping that getting people elected who are competent what and capable of actually helping people is going to help us with the situation. But at the same time, we have to hope that the other party gets their stuff together and starts to push some of the nonsense out. But I don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't think they care. I think they just want the vote. That's it. Yeah. And that's why it's so important that these things get fleshed out before the election, not after, Mm. because after is just too late. He's there. He's seated. Exactly. The only way to get rid of him is to vote him out again in two years. Mm -hmm. So... And yeah, yeah, it's it's turned into quite a, a circus. That, that It's a mess. That's why organizations like Soul Strategies are so important. It helps these candidates navigate these just absolutely mm-hmm. bonkers times that we're in. Finally, what are some of the top things, I'm just curious about this, that mm-hmm. drive voter decisions before they cast their ballots? What have you noticed? That's a great question. I would say the person that made an attempt to communicate with them the most. Um, That's why we believe field organizing is so important because they can say, you know, Joshua and his team came to my house. They knocked on my door. They called me. You know, they sent me a handwritten letter. I've gone to community events and I've seen him and his team there. You know, he must really care. Um, So those type of things really weigh a lot. And it's not just about running a TV ad and it's not just about um, visibility. Visibility is a big piece of it, but authenticity is what really hits home with a lot of voters more than anything. A voter will, unfortunately, in some instances, vote against their own best interest if they feel like it's coming from an authentic place. So authenticity is probably one of the biggest key factors. Um, and just showing a little humbleness and showing that you actually are a part of the community and you you live here, you reside here. That's what happened to Oz. They, they just kept making him look like some insurgent man. And, you know, Pennsylvanians didn't like that. So... <laughs> Showing that, you know, I'm from the town, I am one of you, I'm your people, and I'm not too big to commune with you, I'm not too big to call you, that goes a long way in the minds of voters. Yeah, like when those people showed up in rowboats outside of Joe Manchin's yacht, like, hey, could you please, like, not vote against healthcare? That would be great. <laughs> yeah, that engagement is is so important, it, it, that authenticity. It, it, yeah, so... That's so cool. That's so cool that you that, you know, that that that's just one big aspect of so many things that mm-hmm. that y'all are doing. Uh, before I let you go, can you tell everybody how to support, find and follow your organization? Because I know that um, there's just a lot of people listening who really want to help get the vote out. Definitely. Please find us at soul-strategies.com or just soulstrategies.com and soul.strategies on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Thank it's you. been wonderful talking to you. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Amani Wells on Yoha. Thank you again. Thank you.
Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, uh, you want to give a shout out to somebody that's awesome or a local business in your area that could needs that you just love or needs some support, maybe an adoptable pet in your area. You want to tell us a whoopee story about a binky or a whoopee or a stuffy or a, you know, something you've had since you were a kid or something your parents have had since they were kids would, or your kid, you know, I would love to hear about that too. So you can send everything into us at dailybeanspod.com, click on contact. And uh, I'm going to kick us off here with Jamie, pronouns she and her. Hey, y'all, enjoy the show. But I was sad to hear the Southern accent when jesting about the guy wanted to shoot down the suspected spy balloon. It's one thing to mock a particular person with a Southern accent, but to generalize it's not cool. Feels like this is the only accent people still feel free to use as derogatory. And it others all of us in the South. There's enough standalone idiots here to mock. <laughs> My pet tax is nine-year-old healer Karen, named pre-meme, okay? She's very mouthy and really wants to either herd you into a corner or love you to death, either of which will scare the shit out of you if you're caught <laughs> unaware. Oh. Jamie, I just want to say that I hear you. I do. And um, I will. I agree with you. And so I will be more cautious in the future or I will find a specific person that I can make fun of their accent. But yes, I, I, I do hear you and I, I agree with you. And I, I apologize if I was part of that. So I'll, I shall do better in the future. Yes, thank you, and thank you for that. Uh, did I? If if so, I apologize. I won't do it anymore. I'm sure we've both done it at some point in the history yeah. of the podcast. Yeah, and yeah, we're comedians too. We got to kick those old habits. Exactly. Next up from CJ, I'm just going to read this one because it's short. Pronoun she and her. We finally got a little snow here. Here's a pick of my horse enjoying the precipitation. He's a Tennessee walker. CJ, oh that God. is a stunning photo. Beautiful. Stunning. Oh. Absolutely stunning photo. This reminds me of when my parents used to take me to see, I know this isn't a Clydesdale, but the when they would take me to see the Budweiser Clydesdales yeah. at, um, at Chapel Hill Mall in Talmadge, Ohio, because it's the only time I really have snow and horses together, you know, in the same thing. So this is beautiful. Yeah, that is amazing. All right. This next one's from an anonymous human being, but the pronouns are she and her. Hello, everyone. When I heard you were looking for a different co-host for the cleanup on aisle 45, I immediately thought of Peter Strzok. I was so happy to hear you chose him and he agreed. I've shared some of our adventures in fostering dogs before. Our newest little foster is all of nine pounds. She's three years old, and they say at least part Yorkie. She was so happy to come to our home and is waiting for a new forever home. If you're interested in her or any of the rescues, please visit underdogsrock.org, underdogsrock.org. Me and Belota, pronounced Bayota. okay, good to know. This is Bayota. me and Bayota bonded right away. Thank you, friends, for being such a wonderful community to be part of. Oh, look at that face. Oh, it's like a Yorkie poo. It does look like a Yorkie thing. poo. So adorable. I love the ears. Nice trim there. Oh, freshly and that groomed. last picture is so sweet. Oh, what a good baby. Oh, so much love. I look at the way the dog is looking at her. Oh. So cute. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I'm super excited about Pete Struck. But you know, did I choose Pete Struck or did he choose me? You know? Fair question. I'm glad we could find him a forever home as well. 
All right. Next up from Kim, pronouns she and her. <laughs> did he rescue us or did we rescue Well him? done. Hello, Beans. I just want to share my favorite stuffed animal with you. Yes. It's a stuffy story. Her name is Susie and she is supposedly a hippo. I got her when I was six months old from a hospital gift shop while visiting my grandma in the hospital. Susie went everywhere with me all throughout my childhood. She was kept alive by the loving hands of grandma. Graham resuscitated her many times, reattaching eyes and ears and even restuffing her. When I was 33, Graham passed away and I buried Susie right along with her. We all joke that Graham and Susie are either loving each other for eternity or Graham is cussing me for having to share the great beyond with that fucking ugly bane of her existence. (laughs) (laughs) I've attached a pic of me and Susie when I was a little girl. Don't make fun. It was the early 80s. Uh, And I can't play what the mutt with you because my four girls are full on husky, golden retriever and great dame. But I'm attaching pics of my newest grandpup. This is Biggie, as in Biggie Smalls. A corgi. (laughs) Biggie Smalls. Get it? Oh, this is great. With my youngest son, Cooper, and his beautiful girl, Jenna. They're getting their first apartment together in a few weeks. And I've already started creating their own little family. Oh, that's so great. Thank you for all you do. And for always giving me the first laugh of the day. My God. Each and every morning. First of all, you were adorable as a child. 80s or not, that shirt, I'm sure someone would still like to wear to this day. And this fucking corgi puppy. (laughs) Not to mention your children are gorgeous. That corgi puppy is the cutest thing in the world. That looks like my house that she's in, because that's probably roughly the same age. But that, yeah, look at that stuffed animal. I like hippo, question mark. I love it. Jogging shirt is the best. Oh, corgi. Oh, All right. Congrats on the new apartment. And by the way, Corgi Butts, so best cute. butts in the dog business. Yeah. Hey, G, you should probably take the next one. It's pretty short. I'm just kidding. All right. I'm from kidding. Molly. It's, oh. <laughs> it's specifically for me. Oh, I was gonna. I know. I should have <laughs> let you do it. That's all right. I'll get you back another time. Okay, everyone. Buckle up. Molly, no pronouns given. Hi, lovely Legumanistas. This message is for Dana. We recently... Went winter camping on Lake Nakamixon, probably not even close, um, in Pennsylvania. (laughs) Well, there we found a store nearby for Casey, also not close, called the Wiki Wacky Wicker World. I can do that. The story has no purpose other than to tongue-tie Dana. And I was fine with Wiki Wacky Wicker World, by the way. It's the other two names. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm a lesbian. I don't get tongue-tied, but I don't know how to pronounce certain things either. So. She's this, really good. This story was no purpose other than twist. a tongue-tied Dana. Yep. Who we love. For tax, I'm attaching a baby photo of myself. I unfortunately looked a great deal like Antonin Scalia. Can you pick me out? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. This picture's so funny. These this I don't know who's holding you though. These children in the background are gorgeous as well, and the baby next to you is adorable. Look at that head of hair. The faces on these babies are the best. Oh, they really are. I mean, the eyebrows. Oh, baby eyebrows. Oh, the best. Oh my goodness. Oh, amazing. So, so, Looked so like good. Antonin Scalia. Oh my god, so good. Incredibly adorable. Thank you, everybody, so much. Now I want to see everybody's baby pictures. I know. I just want to. Maybe I'll even send one in. Yeah, me too. So send them in to us at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. We're going to get out of here. Watch the State of the Union. Dana, do you have any final thoughts? Just a thank you to the three people that sent emails who design websites. And I will uh, be looking through them and reach out. So I appreciate you very much. I got to redo my website. It is ugly. 
Awesome. Thank you. And our listeners are the best. All right. Uh, my final thought is, uh, remember when uh, Fonnie Willis said, you remember, you know, decisions will be imminent. Yep. She was like imminent. And I said, everybody, everybody in government speak, imminent means like three weeks. Um, we're about to wrap this up means before the end of the year. And soon means like four to six months. It's been two weeks since she said that. So on imminence watch, we have about another week in 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 my mind as uh, you know the way that uh, these things translate in government speak. We'll see. We'll see what happens down in Georgia. Uh, and uh, everybody, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And then the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>